welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, I'm really excited today. We've got our first YouTuber on. So everyone, please welcome your friend Andy and our friend Andy. Andy, how's it going? What gets you excited about life? Hey guys, thanks for having me. Um, well, you know, a lot of things get me excited about life. I'm kind of one of those people who I get distracted super easily by just about everything. I get FOMO about trying all the things. So it's a struggle for me to focus. But these days, I think I am most excited about, I guess, how you found me, which is online audience building, both through YouTube and Twitter. And then just personal finance, investing, etc. in general, with a big emphasis these days, especially because it's kind of the hot topic. Crypto is something that's getting me really, really excited to watch and see what happens and be plugged into. That's awesome. And can you tell us a bit about your beginnings? I'm very curious about what that first day took to take the plunge into being a content creator. And I'm sure there's a great story there because you like to try a lot of things. So what was that original process like? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so my current YouTube channel, which I'm assuming is how you guys are through my Twitter found me, is actually my second YouTube channel. So my first YouTube channel, I started in 2015 with my good friend Jonathan. That channel is called Burger Fiction. That channel is still active and it did achieve some popularity. It has 150 something thousand subscribers and over 70 million views, which still blows my mind that has that many views. But essentially, me and my friend Jonathan, we worked together once upon a time, and then we went our separate ways in the professional world. I was a creative director at a tech company. That was my last job. And then I kind of decided to do my own thing, go and work for myself. And then I connected with Jonathan again. We're like, hey, we had a lot of fun working together. We miss having some kind of creative outlet he had this idea, let's start a YouTube channel. I was like, okay, cool, sure, I'm in, let's try it out. And we started that channel, uh, and it started as just little um, recorded short films, a couple minutes long. And eventually we experimented with supercuts, with movies and TV shows, and that blew up. And then we pivoted to full-on supercut channel, and then Burger Fiction kind of grew and grew and grew. And that is kind of what set my mind to the possibilities and opportunities with YouTube. Fast forward to 2020. Uh, at this point, I hadn't really been super active on Burger Fiction, but I am still, like most people, actively consuming YouTube. And um, as someone who is really interested in money and finance, investing, crypto, etc., I kept watching all these YouTubers popping up and growing quickly and talking about these topics. And then I'd see these videos where they talk about how much money they were making on YouTube. And I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. Can I get a slice of that pie? And so after kind of mulling it over for the better part of a year, I finally, in 2020, bit the bullet and jumped in headfirst in June of 2020. And so now it's been just over a year with the new channel. And uh, I'm pretty happy with the progress so far, almost 8,000 subscribers and 300 something thousand views. But the most important metric to me is just seeing even with a small channel, it's already earned me over 25,000, I think so far, 
which is kind of amazing that something so small can generate so much just kind of gives me a lot of optimism for the future of the channel if I start getting actual, you know, viewership and bigger numbers and stuff like that. So that's kind of the YouTube journey so far. It's a lot of fun. It's not super easy, but it's in my opinion, just an incredible opportunity if people are looking to build an online audience or an online following. Yeah, just kudos to you because we did something similar. We used to work together at a car dealership and have kept in touch very similarly, mostly through WhatsApp. And this podcast was a very similar idea around the idea of how do you improve your life and talk about finance, talk about investing. So really appreciate you coming on because I think we share a lot of the same narratives. We've done a lot of crypto episodes and that's where it's at. I mean, you can take anyone who knows nothing about traditional finance and jump into crypto and actually make money with a little bit of money. So it's definitely, I think, accessible to everyone. And I'm glad you're on it. I heard how the CPM is ridiculous. These payouts on any kind of crypto or finance terms is very, very high. So do you find compared to the Burger Channel, that's the case? Is that exactly what is generating so much revenue efficiently? And just give us some behind the scenes, because I think a lot of our listeners have never grown a YouTube channel even successfully. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, that's super cool. That's how y'all met. I find that those are some of the coolest friendships is when you have some kind of mutual interest, but then you pursue some opportunity or something through that interest. So that's really cool that you guys met kind of the same way. Yeah, so YouTube, it's kind of as far as strict money making with the ad rates and stuff with the CPMs, that's all about the niche. Personal finance, investing, etc. That is by far the highest paid niche on YouTube. And movie supercuts are not the highest paid niche on YouTube. So for example, Burger Fiction would usually have somewhere between a three to four dollar CPM, which for those that don't know, that means that's three or four dollars for every 1000 views is what YouTube was paying. And my new channel, your friend Andy, which is all about money and finance, etc. My CPM usually is somewhere between 50 to $60 per thousand views. So you can see that there's quite the gap there. But, you know, CPMs and ad rates are kind of only one part of the story. There's a million other ways to monetize YouTube. So definitely, if you're someone who's considering YouTube, don't just chase the money because any niche can be highly profitable if you find an audience, if you find a following, if you are good at what you do. Uh, it just might not be that the um, CPM, the ad rates, is not your you know highest payer. In fact, for me, even though that's so great, it's not actually my highest payer. My highest income stream on YouTube is affiliates right now. And it's looking like sponsorships are going to be another really big one, which sponsorships for most channels is going to be a huge component. Uh, so there's a bunch of different ways. And there's lots of kind of nitty gritty there. But uh, yeah, opportunity across the board for just about any niche, all kinds of niches with lots of possibilities. That's brilliant. I was just going to say that, you know, your story is very similar to ours. And it's very fascinating because... When we discovered you, we were really excited and I thought, you know, this guy has so much in common to what we usually preach. So this is going to be very exciting to have you on the show. So thanks for joining us today. And I was also curious with regards to one of my favorite videos of yours was about the side hustles. And it just sometimes really opens the options for people, it just shows them how many options they really have and what they can do to really, you know, start really getting some extra sources of income, start getting some cash. One simple favorite of mine, and actually John was teaching about that, and I never even thought of it, was, you know, selling your stuff that you don't use anymore. And when you said that on the video, I was just like, 
this is what John's been telling me all the time. So if you don't mind sharing with us maybe how you came to this realization, I guess at first with your interest in finance, is it something that's always been of your interest? Because for John and I, even though we work together at the dealership, we always share that common interest. Even once we went our separate ways in terms of careers, we stayed in touch because of those interests. So maybe you can enlighten us a bit about how you got into this kind of level of knowledge and outlook on things. Yeah. So taking a step back on the side hustle thing. Yeah. I've always been into various side hustles and stuff. And I love the whole idea of just sell your stuff. People constantly buy stuff that they don't need to impress people they don't like. That quote's been used to death, but it's true. And we have closets full of stuff, garages full of stuff, and people will go online and complain that they don't have money or whatever. But if they just emptied out their closet and sold all that stuff on eBay or Facebook Marketplace or their garage or whatever, they would suddenly find, oh, I have an influx of money. So that's just like one of those things that is my favorite go-to because it's so accessible for just about everybody and it can be highly lucrative. But uh, with the money thing, interest in personal finance, so it's not a long, like lifelong interest. I mean, rewind just 10 years ago and me and my wife's money situation was pretty dire. We had huge amounts of debt, hardly any money in the accounts, virtually no investments. So we kind of made an assessment of our lives and said, you know, what are we doing wrong here? And this is in my late 20s. I'm 36 now. So kind of reassessing our financial lives and then started reading some books and watching lots of YouTube videos, you know, the usual stuff. And that kind of awakened in me this desire to have a healthy financial situation. And out of that, you know, just the way my brain works, it was exciting. These numbers make sense. I can do some math. I can figure this out and I can look for opportunity and ways to get ahead. And that whole thing was just so exciting and so interesting. And then once I actually started seeing progress, once we actually started chipping away and getting rid of the debt, buying a house, investing, starting with crypto, et cetera, everything just kind of started falling into place. And then once you, I mean, once you start getting some returns on your investments, once you start seeing those numbers get bigger, you get like fully addicted. It's just this, you know, this hit of just I'm doing something substantial with my money, whereas before I was just wasting it. So it's hard to kind of turn back once you dip your toes in the investing in money pool, I think. Yeah, just to add to that. So, you know, I've done the Kijiji thing for years and I used to buy limited release vinyls. I was really into producing music in university and this was like way post the vinyl era, but there were limited prints. I was spending money I didn't have and I would buy one to hopefully make money in the future and then one because I wanted to spend it. But I was a disaster. I would definitely spend more than I make. I'd have two jobs. One was a valet and one was where I first started a car dealership. And for anyone in that situation, I would say, take a pause and track. So are you buying 30 Tim Hortons coffees? Or are you buying takeout lunch every day? And I think the secret that worked well for me was not to change your habits right away. Don't look for a fix, just awareness. And I think you made a great point, which is being aware that, you know, you want to change. And that is step one to controlling your life. So just a point about selling your things. The thing that I find is helpful is you learn about the value of something. So you could have spent $300 on a tool. Maybe now it's worth $20, but at least you know the market value. You're going to learn what the market's worth, what people are paying for, supply and demand, you know, what's a hot product? Can you sell an iPhone versus an old leather jacket? And it's interesting because I find that the more you work and focus on making 20 or 50 dollars, 
the less you'll want to spend the next 20 or 50 dollars because you're like you know why i traded my jacket for 20 bucks i'm gonna skip this subway sandwich combo i don't really need it and i think the reframing comes through doing and trying and to people out there who think they cannot turn their life around like you said pretty much everyone lives on debt it's impossible not to with you know cost of housing cost of schools it's just the inflation is ridiculous so I always called it outpacing inflation. The answer is always make more money was the joke with a friend of mine. It really comes down to stopping the bleeding, being aware. And then I always believe in living sustainably. And one of the ways is to sell stuff you don't need. And so take that sustainable income, that extra dollar you don't need, and then start trying things. And I think why you're successful, Andy, is because you try a lot of things. And people take too much of an all or nothing approach. and you have to enjoy failure like a pig in mud. You have to enjoy the process. And you sound like a very creative person, which I admire. And that creativity, you can't even put a value on that. You know, you build a website. Now you know how to build a website. You build a YouTube channel. You build a podcast. You, you know, start a side business. This is what will be the driving force of the future. And I think there's truth to that. There's truth in doing and trying and practicing. So that's awesome. What do you think about crypto specifically? Are you a fan of a certain exchange or a certain style of investing? There's a lot of talk about DeFi and staking these days. What's the most thing that excites you about crypto today? Yeah, so the majority of my position is Bitcoin. I am by far the most excited about Bitcoin still, even with all the new fancy stuff that everyone is hyped and talking about. But I think all that stuff is super cool. I mean, I own Ethereum. I am into some aspects of DeFi in general, though a lot of it still goes over my head. But my portfolio is 80-ish percent Bitcoin. That's where I've been investing most of my money and then a few other places. But then I've also had the big strategy of crypto mining. I have some mining rigs here at my house. I've been doing that for several years now. And I run uh, crypto nodes and I stake a bunch of coins. And I'm also using various crypto interest accounts like BlockFi and Celsius. So I have a kind of a spectrum of crypto where I'm earning money through it and then also just actively investing. But I've been doing crypto seriously since 2017, since the last kind of big popularity blow up. But I actually first heard about Bitcoin in like 2012 or 2013 and completely dismissed it, thought it was stupid sounding. You can't make money from nothing. That doesn't make sense. And that was, for a while, a big regret. And then uh, so I just decided to do something about it and kind of dove in headfirst in 2017 and been very successful for me since then. But it's just incredibly exciting to watch. So much that's happened in the past year and a half is just stuff I knew would eventually happen, but just kind of couldn't believe it was actually happening. All these companies putting it on the balance sheet the adoption at the level it currently is, the attention it's getting to the price. Oh my God, $64,000 Bitcoin back in May, which is wild. Yeah, all this stuff is things I'm very excited about, but also stuff that's just kind of surreal to actually live through these times. But it's been an amazing, amazing journey to be a part of. Yeah, and I'm just going to throw it out there. So I remember sending Cal a bit of Bitcoin, if you remember Cal. I think it was like 2014. Do you remember that? Very well. <laughs> yeah. So it's always cool. The exposure. I saw a very good tweet the other day. So people who want to get into investing and it was like, you're going to make your money on the third bull run. 
meaning first exposure is like you said, just kind of not really knowing about it. Maybe you don't take it seriously. Second time you're going to go in, maybe you get burned. If you're buying a 64K, you know, the last three months must have sucked. But long term, as you weather the storms, understand that investing is a long term thing. Zoom out 10 years, the price doesn't matter. Buying at the top doesn't matter, especially with Bitcoin. And I've made predictions on Twitter. So if you think of things like what would Bitcoin be in an extreme case, the price of one Satoshi to a US dollar, I think it's something like $100 million Bitcoin. And that is probably one of the most extreme bull cases. But if you don't think we're going to see another you know, 1050x, I think it's ridiculous. You're going to see a 1050x, so you'll see a million dollar Bitcoin. I'm predicting 2030. I'm saying that's probably where it is. And I remember thinking $10,000 was impossible and that's the new low. And every time someone sees a crash, you know, I always point out that the lowest low is always bigger than the highest high. And that is how I would reframe it to someone who always thinks they're missing out. And just a reminder for listeners who don't own any, you can buy $5 of Bitcoin. You can buy $10. There's eight decimal places. It's divisible to so many smaller denominations that the adoption is inevitable. And, you know, it's such a fascinating technology. It's unhackable. This whole thing is definitely here to stay. It's not going away. When I say things on Twitter about when we saw from May and then the following two months draw down 50% down to $29,000, $30,000 range, people would ask or reply on Twitter and say, you know, is it too late? And we missed his, the bull run over. I'm like, this isn't such a high probability of a 10x from here, even within the next year or two, and still get, you know, people who are like, that's stupid. This is irresponsible you know, whatever. And that's, uh, that's the place where I like to operate, I've found. Uh, when people are saying, I'm crazy, or it's a dumb mindset, or it's a dumb decision, uh, it's proven very effective and lucrative for me so far. So I definitely lean into that. But I also really believe it. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Now, do I think a $100 million Bitcoin in my lifetime? Eh, maybe. Um, I think 1 million to 10 million is within my lifetime. Absolutely. I think the next few years especially are going to be very interesting to see exactly what happens because I think we're at some of those kind of inflection points with Bitcoin, but also crypto in general. So I don't know, it's a, it's, it's a blast to watch and kind of experience with everybody else. So also with the mining, if you don't mind sharing with us, how did you start with that? Has the drop also out of curiosity, has it been useful for you in the sense of, you know, some volume and volatility has affected in terms of being more lucrative in terms of the mining aspect of it? Yeah, so mining is something, well, one, I'm not like a big time miner. I don't have like a, an industrial building filled with thousands of miners. I have a mining shed and it has a few rigs in it. I have kind of a small operation. But uh, I first got into mining back in 2017 uh, during the last uh, big bull run because, you know, everybody's talking about all this stuff. And so I fully got sucked in with FOMO in 2017. Dovin had first made lots of stupid decisions and uh, bought lots of mining hardware at all time highs and then just watched and learned some valuable lessons as the prices of not only all of the cryptocurrencies, but the hardware I had purchased just started sinking in price, but taught me a bunch of extremely valuable lessons and Instead of going, oops, this was a mistake, I need to dial this back. 
I need to sell this stuff. I need to you know get out of this. I instead leaned into it. And during that time, I really just I, I kind of went full force. So as everything drew down and dropped in price, I spent all my extra money on buying Bitcoin and I bought more mining hardware. I sold some of the other stuff eventually and bought newer generation GPUs and stuff. But I bought most of this stuff at bargain basement prices. It's just ridiculous looking at the prices now versus what I paid. So during that time, I just leaned into it. And, and as it's been slowly but steadily kind of going up and then rapidly going up this year, everything has paid itself off multiple times. So now I just run this stuff with the cost of electricity and essentially get free coins out of it. But I don't do a whole lot. I right now mine Ethereum with my GPU rigs and I have an ASIC that is mining a coin called Pirate Chain. And I have some uh, programmable uh, FPGA miners that I kind of switch between a few different coins. But yeah, it's a really fun hobby. And it's one of those hobbies that, you know, if you do it right, and you do it well, you can make a lot of money. And uh, my strategy was all during the bear market was mining speculative new launch coins. And then as things kind of heated up, I then switched back to Ethereum because when it hit $4,000 per coin, the transaction fees, the gas fees for Ethereum were just stupidly high. So even my basic machines were just raking in the money during that time. So yeah, I'm doing a little bit more reliable coin on the GPUs now. But yeah, speculative mining during the bear market has really paid off dividends for sure. That's really good. And what is your research process like when you look for a new coin? Do you have any channels you like to follow? Is it specifically Ethereum-based tokens, or is there any theory behind the next best thing? How do you decide which coin to look at next? Yeah, so a lot of it was just trial and error. I would hop on places like Bitcoin Talk, the forums, which have been around since basically the inception of Bitcoin, and they have a new altcoin announcement forum. And on there, I would just search around for new ones being posted that were mineable. Unfortunately, most of the Ethereum tokens, you know, are going to be built on Ethereum, so they're not directly mineable. But there's a whole host of other coins out there that are being created based on various proof of work, blockchain and code that have different features or fun names or you name it. And I would search on there and I also have a few different discord groups of miners and crypto enthusiasts and they'd post, you know, oh, I just heard about this or we'd look on Twitter, just kind of scoping out the scene, anything that was being announced or new. Now, I will give a disclaimer and say that a lot, I mean, a lot of the coins that I have mined with my machines speculatively have either gone to zero, devs disappeared, or some of them were outright scams. But that's kind of the price you pay when you kind of are trying to be first on getting uh, access to something. And all my winners have more than made up for all of those losers. But yeah, it's one of those things where it's just the more research you do, the deeper you get plugged into the community and the scene the more you know how to look for the stuff and what your own personal metrics are for, you know, what you think is a solid project to start mining, which I will again say that a lot of mine have been sketchy at best, going for the high risk, high reward kind of a thing. But yeah, it's more art than science. And it is a lot of fun, though. Do you have a favorite wallet that you're using to put these altcoins in? One of my top projects I have mined is called Flux. And Flux has a wallet called Zellcore, 
and it's a multi-coin wallet. It looks awesome. I can't recommend it enough. It holds hundreds of various coins. They have just incredibly slick looking wallet, but I know that other things like Exodus, I've used those, but yeah, Zelcor is my go-to for a bunch of coins, but obviously a lot of the projects when they're so early, they're not supported by a multi-coin wallet. So I just use the native wallet that they develop. People are against crypto say that, you know, you can lose all their money. You have those scam coins that come every now and then. But my argument to them is you have that everywhere, including the stock market. You have companies that are promising you things that they're never doing or perhaps just downright scandalous, let's say. So the challenge with it is even though you don't know when you first start, let's say there's some sort of altcoin, one of the altcoins that you find interesting and you feel there could be potential and want to jump in, it's all about your risk tolerance. Put in what you feel you can afford to lose. Obviously, if it goes your way, then you'd be happy. But it's all about risk management. And it seems to me that you've been doing that. You know what to get into based on your own research. You do think that sometimes this could be high risk, high reward. But I am sure, like you said, since your winners have outweighed all your losers on these risky trades or risky investments, this seems to me that there's good risk management and money management here. And that's a very good example for our listeners to know that you kind of never go all in on one thing. That's more of a gamble than anything. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I will say on that, that's a spectrum as well that, you know, changes over time with any investment. It's like the more time you have in the market with that investment, the more time you have understanding that investment, you know, your risk assessment changes. So Bitcoin for me is something that's very non-risky in my opinion. So Bitcoin, again, is about 80% of my crypto portfolio, and my crypto portfolio is about 35 to 40% of my overall net worth. So my crypto investment, my crypto position is considerably bigger percentage-wise than many other people are comfortable with. But I have high conviction, higher understanding than people who are obviously newer to the space, stuff like that. So that's all factors that play into this when it comes to comfort levels. But I will also say when it comes to the very speculative stuff, the high risk, high reward stuff, this is not stuff that I'm necessarily throwing money at. This is stuff I'm throwing compute power at. My mining rigs are paid off. I don't pay anything other than electricity to run them. They just make me money. So it's very low risk in the big scheme of things for me to find this hot new project, throw my mining resources at it and see where that goes. I'm just out whatever the electricity cost is, which, you know, is between 5 to $10 per day or something like that. It's very minimal on the spectrum. So yeah, it's kind of just like what you said. It's all about managing that risk. If you have $10,000 to your name and that's it, is it wise to put all $10,000 into some new exciting coin? Well, you know, it might turn you into a millionaire, but the chances are much higher that it's going to erase your last $10,000 and you're going to have to start from scratch. So Crypto, it's just like any other place, there's going to be lots of opportunity to lose your money. But there's also so much upside if you can play it in a smarter, safer way, for sure. Yeah, and I'll just chime in and say it is a long-term game because I actually had thrown $500 in Doge three months after it was created because I had thought Bitcoin was over. And I was at least trying to diversify in that case and chase one of the winners and you know i would call it a success today and the secret to investing is no matter what the price is today 
if you have long-term conviction. Over 10, 20 years, the price you bought at is so, so different that whether you make a 20x or a 40x to you might not matter. And to the person buying at the top, they're actually the ones putting all the risk in now because you bought early enough. So I think if I were to recommend someone to get into the space today, I would say, just like you said, so try different things. If you've got 10 grand, buy in $500 increments and then learn about each of them. And you only need a 20x on one to make your money back. Even if the rest go to zero, you're in good shape. So, you know, I've said this before, which is the value you get just in educating yourself will be immensely high. That's a cheap education. And the secret is you're hyper learning. So by going on these forums, by trying things, I love how you said that you doubled down because you weren't after the quick money. You were after what else can I learn about? What else can I try? And that's where the real growth comes. That's where the compounding comes. You know, you go from one machine to five and then you can throw more compute powers. That's really brilliant. You know, having followed the space for a while, I totally forgot that the miners are the ones who win with high gas fees. I totally forgot there was a winner in that. And it's amazing how just putting that into perspective makes a difference. So, John, did you keep your Doge until this year? Yeah, absolutely. I only kept it because I lost my password. So I was all over Reddit trying to figure out how to crack this. I saw some guy who you can send your wallet to and it peaked at about a quarter million dollars Canadian, let's say in May. So look at that return. That's like a 500x on a $500 investment. So to people who say it can't be done, it absolutely can be done. And the secret is even buying $1,000 of Bitcoin at 500 US dollar value you're going to make a hundred grand. So, you know, I did Tesla in 2013. Some of the big names just because I'm in the car business. I like tech. Tesla was a no brainer. I listened to every earnings call, hyper excited about how companies are grown. And I'm a huge Elon fan. So these are just small examples where eventually when your investments outperform your life, I call it jumping orders of magnitude. So you're making a hundred thousand dollars per investment. Eventually being a millionaire is inevitable. Most people don't make that in a year. So you've got five, six good investments. You decide your own future. You decide what success looks like. And again, I just want to really drive the point home that people are so worried about today's risk. They don't see the future. Like invest 10 years ago, everyone thinks in hindsight, oh, I should have done that. But why are you so blind into who you should invest in today? If you don't kind of coach that mentality of what is future opportunity look like? then you'll never become wealthy. You'll always wonder why life sucks. So the quick story with the wallet, it hit about, I think, seven cents Canadian. In the previous bull run, it was, I think, three cents. I didn't really pay attention. I'm like, there's a little bit of money there, not too exciting. And when it dipped back down, I forgot about it. It was on an old, I had the original Dogecoin core clients. It reminds me of BitTorrent. I remember actually PayPaling money to people on Reddit. There was a marketplace where you can swap and People had their own credibility, like, hey, this person's cool. They won't scam you. And I originally wanted to get to, I think, a million, but I ended up getting 300,000 coins in that range. And so it's 2021. Everyone's talking about it. And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, this is actually worth digging up. And I go on to this really good thread. Some guy starts to explain how to recover your password. And he goes through, you know, the wallet extension, how to search through computer files. 
and he was going through passwords and like how to come up with passwords. And, and I was actually, I know it was a password I chose. So he was breaking down how, you know, the likelihood of combinations are a lot smaller once you know it's something that's personal to you. So it happened to be a mix of one of my university passwords, but I added an extra digit for security thinking I was going to get hacked one day, you know, using an email password. You don't want to use the same one. So I had such a huge smile on my face when I actually cracked it and I ended up giving him 10%. So I wired him, I think at the time it was like 20,000 US dollars in coins, just as a big thanks for that. Because I mean, I find as you grow, it's not about just keeping all the money yourself. You want to share the upside and you want to get excited about life. So that's kind of the story in a nutshell. And yeah, I still hold some. That's amazing, man. So you did $500 and turned it into 250000 Did I hear that right? Yeah, exactly. And that is essentially the math. And Doge was always a joke. I remember it was getting Super Bowl press. The first big hype was when they sponsored NASCAR. I remember um, that. The NASCAR sponsorship was huge. Elon is, of course, there's a love-hate thing. I think a lot of people hate Elon, but I'm a huge fan. And I think support in any crypto space is useful. And so my price target for Doge, I did the math. If you extrapolate Bitcoin's price and Doge by extension gets carried, I think I'll have to post it in the show notes, but I came up with like a $10 Doge as a confident bull case. And you know, once that's hit, I follow a lot of startup podcasts and a lot of things like investors and VCs who talk about, you know, getting acquired and then selling their shares when the company goes public. They all say, don't sell everything. Don't sell too early. You don't know what the top is. You don't know what the next 10, 20 years looks like. And when you make a million dollars, if you can X that, you're going to be okay. You don't have to sell your whole position. And I think the secret to that is exactly what you preach, Andy, which is do many things at once, try many things. And by the sounds of it, you know, you're okay with your YouTube growth. You're okay with crypto. And that in itself is the way to de-risk your life because if you're only going all in on Bitcoin and it crashes and that was your rent check or you mortgage your home, you're in trouble. You're going to sell at the wrong time. But if you're actually have five streams of income, do you care about the price of Bitcoin? You don't. Your conviction stays high. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's a super cool story. That's the type of stuff I just love hearing in crypto. And hey, that's, you know, the real secret here for, you know, all investing is just forget your password. I mean, that's, that's the answer. I have a similar, not to such dramatic effect, but I think I tweeted a thread about it. What my ASIC is currently mining pirate chain. So during the bear market, I spent $180 buying this ASIC, which is a specialized mining machine. I bought it just because I was interested in this little bit like funny, but actually they have some serious privacy technology. This coin called pirate chain. I bought this $180 ASIC just to mine it, put it in my mining shed, forgot about it. Over the course of about a year and a half, I think I spent right around eight or $900 on electricity on it. So all in, I had invested of my own dollars, somewhere between 11 to $1,300. And then in May, or somewhere around there, it just exploded. And my pirate coin stack, which I spent you know $1,200 to get, was worth about 150000 And so I exited a portion of my position and I'm still holding some of it. But yeah, it's just wild that that type of stuff can happen if you are, you know, smart about where you put your plays and you hang on to stuff long enough to see the payout. But what you were saying about, you know, always keep some. Yeah, keep a moon bag. You need to take profit, 
and don't feel bad if it still goes up or whatever after you take some profit, but see your profit and then hold on to that moon bag because, you know, that little slice that you hang on to could, you know, outperform the rest you've already sold. So you never know. It's a wild, wild space. What a fantastic piece of advice. Just forget your password because it's so true. <laughs> Happened to me as well. Just a quick story on my end. A uh, long time ago, I just bought a stock and it had solid fundamentals. It's a financial stock on a bank. And I just bought some because it was paying 5% dividend at the time. And I double checked. It had good history, 20 years of paying dividends. So I thought, you know, should be safe. And it underperformed for two to three years, but I just let it be and I never touched it at all even though I'm actually active with my other investments. But with this account, with this stock, I just left it there. And now it's doubled in value in about four years. And most of the work has been done in the past six months. So now it seems to be having a solid growth. And yeah, it's basically the same idea. So wonderful advice there. And that's the thing as well, is you basically way more than covered your costs with regards to the pirate coin with mining rig and electricity costs. So it's always good to take profit, reevaluate, reassess. Like you said, you don't have to go sell all of it at once and capitalize on maybe moving on to something else. But I'm also curious, when was the time that I actually felt that you had enough streams of income that you fully financially independent or do you have a steady nine to five job right now? So yeah, I work for myself as of 2014. So coming up on a decade of working for myself. So yeah, I don't do the nine to five anymore. And yeah, I am trying to actively build multiple streams of income. I'm a big believer, and I preach this on Twitter a lot. I really believe in income resilience. You know, relying on a single source of income, I don't believe is very wise. So I work for myself, multiple streams of income. My definition of financial independence would be hitting my investment numbers, which I'm still not quite there. My minimum, I think, invested amount would be somewhere around 2.5 million. Obviously, I'd like more than that, but that's the minimum where I wouldn't need to work to basically maintain a portion of our current lifestyle just off of the returns. Yeah, exactly. I think people throw around the whole 5% a year return without touching your principal. It's called a perpetuity, boring terms, but I'm just trying to tie this in and explain to people that I was always a young kid thinking there's a disparity between old money, the haves and have nots. I didn't think it was possible growing up without a lot of money. We didn't grow up rich, that it was just impossible. And, you know, I think tech was the first love I had that explained that it's merit based. You could have upside in this world. And I learned about equity, I learned about upside, and then public markets was number two and crypto was number three. And the whole point is it is never too late. And the amount of innovation that's happening now, the pinnacle of the internet with mobile smartphones and the Instagrams and the Amazons took 25 years minimum. Crypto is only half as old. And if this is going to connect people in ways of smart contracts and banking and essentially individualized services for monetary supply of money, then we're still very, very early. I just want everyone to put on their optimism cap. And I always say, be curious about the world. You have to take a discovering approach to this. And Andy, you're the shining example because look how far you've come. And with compounding, your success is inevitable. You work for yourself. You enjoy what you do. You control the direction. You get to feed your creativity. And isn't that just the best life ever? Yeah, 100%. And just to jump on that idea too, I mean, I am 
the definition of a late starter. I basically started my 30s with financial ruin, and I've gone from in debt, below zero net worth, to millionaire in basically about eight years. So that's one of the things I talk about. I mean, I'm definitely at 36. I'm still behind many people who are killing it out there. But I feel like I've made up for a lot of ground, and I'm very grateful that I've been able to do that. I agree with basically everything you were saying in kind of a idea that I like to live my life by a little bit is it's never too late as long as you start. So I don't care what age you are, if you actually just like get started, you're still going to be better off than you were before. Now, will you be as far ahead as if you had started a lot earlier? No, obviously not. Well, maybe if you do the right things, you're a little bit lucky, but it's still better than where you would be if you hadn't started that stuff. And so that's something I definitely try to communicate a lot. And that's definitely something I have lived my life by in the past decade and something I have definitely been proof of and I'm very proud of. What would you say to someone who has been burned by investing or due to timing or maybe investing too much and then stopping. Do you have any words of encouragement for people like that? You've come a long way. And even with things like cracking the code on a YouTube channel and growing that, how do you navigate the tough times? Yeah. So if there's anybody who has been burned by investing and, you know, with crypto, it's very easy to get burned. It's all about the mindset and how you frame it. It's very easy to say, okay, well, this sucks. I lost a lot of money. This didn't work out to my favor. I'm done with this. This part of my chapter is over. Now, what's not easy, but what is the right thing to do is to instead say, I still see opportunity here. I still see possibility. Now, what are the lessons I can take from my experience? In my case, you know, I bought things at all time high. I bought a bunch of just crap that didn't amount to anything. I jumped into mining hardware, at, you know, buying these expensive things. And I look back and I said, well, this is me obviously chasing a bandwagon, chasing excitement. I need to actually understand these things. So I spent just a huge amount of time, instead of putting more money into it initially, just listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos, reading so many books. And once I started forming some understanding, out of that understanding came conviction. And then that conviction has just absolutely fueled my ability to even though I kept watching Bitcoin go from 20 to 13 to 8 to, you know, in 2019 to under $4,000. Watching that, instead of going, this sucks, I'm losing money, just all that learning and time in the market, reframed my brain and reprogrammed it to then say, this is great opportunity. This is a discount. I have so much conviction that this is going to go up by a big factor in the future. So, I mean, it's really, it just comes down to, can you take bad experiences and actually turn them into life lessons. It's a very trite thing to say on Twitter, stereotypical, like motivational speaker kind of guru stuff. Be like, you know, failures are lessons. It's one thing to tweet that in 280 characters or less, but it's very tough to live. But if you can actually successfully live that, man, it makes such a difference in how you view all your decisions, especially your financial ones. It is a total, total game changer. John and I always preach about how much education and knowledge there is online, whether it was through YouTube, which is my personal favorite, or podcasts, Twitter, there is so much knowledge out there that really, I don't believe it's an excuse anymore for someone to say that they don't understand something if they don't truly want to learn about it. So it's free, it's available, it's abundant. Obviously, there's a lot of, let's say, putting it nicely, not so informative content out there or useful content. But you know, once you give it the time and invest in 
watching these videos, reading those articles, going through the pages and reading the books, you really get to know and get to be able to sort out the good from the bad, the valuable from the not so valuable. So my journey personally has been similar in that sense, perhaps maybe a bit earlier in the stage where you were maybe not too long ago. But I absolutely love that you mentioned that because that's exactly what I believe in. And it gives you that outlook in life, whether it was investing in equities or crypto or property, whatever the case might be. The moment you start to understand and grasp things, when you have a downturn in value or some position goes against you, whatever that position is in life, and you have an understanding of how things work, you can turn it into an opportunity. And Andy is a prime example of that. Yeah, and just to jump in there, a downturn doesn't mean you owe money. So if you're really investing with the incremental dollars that you make, let's call it from your side hustle project, set money aside for going crazy and learning, you're never going to lose over the long term. And even professional VCs look for one or two home runs out of 20 investments, and they're investing tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. So this is just how the world works. You can't really predict what success looks like 100% of the time, but as long as you're batting at 10, 20%, you're going to be fine. You're going to grow. And that growth is how you reclaim your own time, how you can start to choose what you do with your life. And I promise you, passion will come from that. You'll become excited. You'll start new projects. You will be a different person. So as we wrap up here, Andy, really thank you for your time. Can you give us a day in the life of the YouTube videos behind the scenes? So how much thought do you put into making a video? How do you focus on growth or content editing? I'm just very curious because we're going to shift from Strictly Podcast to YouTube. So anything you can share, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, so growth on YouTube, I could talk probably for a couple hours on just that topic. There's a million different ways to do it. I think my biggest piece of advice I tell everybody who's smaller on YouTube or trying to get started and get traction on YouTube is that you need to focus on search. Search traffic is 100% free, organic, real traffic that you can get a hold of on YouTube. So in the case of like putting your podcast on YouTube, that would be along with the podcast itself, that would be creating other videos on similar relevant topics, but then those topics trying to orient them in a way that they are helpful or answer people's search questions. So what are people you know searching for that you can answer in a video form? That also ties into everything else in your message. And there's lots of tools and stuff you can use to kind of find the best results. But that's one of the first places I went when I was launching my new channel was just being useful to people, being helpful. And then after you gather enough people who you've been helpful to and you get a bit of a following on YouTube, then you can start to do broader topics or topics that have a chance of getting more viral exposure, stuff like that. When people start actually caring, I guess, more what you have to say, because, you know, as with anywhere online, uh, the harsh truth is no one cares what you think or say. They just want to know what you can do for them. So the more you can like help somebody out as you are building, you'll be set up later with the audience and stuff. And so, yeah, every week I try to put out something that is helpful and answers those search results and to continue with that strategy. And now I've started slowly focusing where I'm doing that as well as putting out something that's a bit broader topic, more like the type of stuff I tweet about, which is, you know, these are all my side income sources. This is how I went from zero to millionaire in this amount of years. These bigger ideas and stuff like that. 
But yeah, YouTube is huge. It's like any platform. It's got a million different ways you can grow on it, a million different things to learn about, all this nuance and little details you have to dive into. But it's fascinating and it's a huge potential for growth and money making, all with just incredible organic possibility because it is the second biggest search engine on the planet. And that is a pretty exciting place to be. That's awesome. And tell us a bit about the affiliate side. Do you almost like a retweet? Do you find popular content and add it on your page? So are you marketing for someone like Robinhood or some of the other big wallets out there? And how do those sponsorships work as well? Yeah, so if my affiliate strategy goes hand in hand with my search strategy. So when I'm thinking about a topic for my quote unquote search video, I look for what are some things I can talk on that have results that maybe are underrepresented. So if I go looking for a specific bank review, for example, because I've done quite a few banks, I will look at the results for the said bank. And if there aren't like very many great results, if there's some just low quality ones or just not very good ones or just not many at all that are actual reviews, well, then I go, okay, this is a candidate. Now, let me go to their actual website. Do they have a referral or affiliate program? If they do, well, can I sign up and be a member of that? If they don't, do other affiliate network sites like Impact Radius or um, Commission Junction, stuff like that, do they offer one for that bank or service? And then if I check that box off too, if, if one, the results look like I can compete um, in the results, meaning the actual words I speak, the, the content of the video is valuable enough to compete and or the production quality, my actual look and feel of my videos is better or at least competitive with the other results. If I can compete in those results, that's one check. Then if there is an applicable affiliate program for that thing, that's the second check. And then that means I am good to make that video. I try to mainly focus on content that I can make money with the ads as well as the affiliate to make it worth the time invested. And then the, the sponsorship stuff is really new to me with this channel. I used to do it a lot with Burger Fiction, but on this channel so far, I've only been taking sponsors that have been reaching out to me. I haven't been reaching out to anybody on my own. And I'm only taking stuff that obviously is not like a scam or seems legit or something I actually think is kind of cool because I just get tons and tons of emails from a lot of those crypto stuff. I'm like, I have no idea what this is. This seems very shady to me, so I'm not going to mess with this. But I'm just slowly introducing that to my channel, getting people used to the idea of like, hey, I'm Andy and this is a sponsored video. But I'm going to try to be as neutral as I can about my opinions on this. And then I think as I kind of figure that out for this new channel, I will maybe start being more proactive and reaching out and stuff like that. But yeah, that's kind of the strategy and how I view a lot of that stuff. Really, really cool stuff. Thanks for sharing. Twitter, do you monetize anything there and or any other social media platform? On Twitter, I just occasionally post one or two affiliate links to a couple of courses or products that I also do affiliates for on YouTube. But really, my Twitter, for as fast as it's grown in the past year and for the following that is actually bigger than my YouTube following, I uh, have done very little to monetize it. I will say it was a great test case. Just last week, I announced my YouTube course that's actually happening in a week. It's a live course where people actually watch me live, go through it, and then have Q&A time. So having the Twitter was a great asset there and launching that really helped get people to sign up and stuff. So I saw the value there. But no, that's something I need to work on is monetizing the Twitter a bit better. I've just kind of viewed it as something I need to grow first and then I can kind of worry about the making money with it later, which is kind of attitude across most of these things I'm doing. 
but beyond that, that's it. Like I have an Instagram, but I never post anything there. I have a TikTok, but I've only posted like three and I'm active there. I really kind of just go full force, dive in headfirst on something for a while. And then once I feel like I have somewhat of a foundation, then and only then do I move on to the next thing. So it was YouTube first. Now it's been Twitter. Who knows what the next thing is? I haven't quite picked that one out yet. Andy, that's amazing. Really appreciate your time. You've covered a wealth of information. Everyone go follow your friend Andy on Twitter and YouTube, and we'll be following along as well. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. Always happy to talk about any and all of these topics that we're obviously all excited to talk about. Absolutely, Andy. Thank you for joining us today again. It's been very, very fun and exciting having you. And please, everyone, follow on YouTube. You know, you're always welcome back to the show. Cool. I appreciate that, guys. Awesome. Thanks so much. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.